You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Our modern world contains many intriguing tales of incredible discoveries that often bleed into the realm of the unbelievable. Things that, if true and real, should revolutionize our understanding of humanity and our history on this planet. However, many such tales originate as the illegitimate offerings of sideshow shysters or back-alley peddlers of deceit and fraud intended to entertain and entice the public interest, for a fee, that is. This week, we discuss one of the most infamous cases of high strangeness in sideshow history and cryptozoological lore, that of the Minnesota Iceman. Masqueraded around America in the 1960s, purported to be the body of what can only be described as a Neanderthal. Snub-nosed, covered in hair, and reeking of the scent of humanity's ancient past. But was it real? Or a mere sideshow illusion? Join us as we attempt to unravel the mysterious saga of the Minnesota Iceman on Into the Portal. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back. Yay. Yeah, um, yeah sorry up. guys. It took us uh, another week to get back on the mic for our regular feed. Just wanted to, you know, focus a little bit more on some research. We've got two other episodes after this one coming out that are with other people. And yeah. been really cool. Collaboration. So there's a lot of detail going into that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, really looking forward to it. And you guys are going to love it. I know it's going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, quick bit of housekeeping, obviously, before mm-hmm. we get started here. Uh, we just want to let you all know that if you were thinking about checking out our Be Strange, um, our forest creature crew neck is actually almost gone forever. Almost extinct. Receded into the depths of the unknown, never mm. to return again. So now's the time to act if you were thinking about it. Um, and it's just an unbelievably comfortable crew neck. Is. Original artwork by Doodle Kev, mm-hmm. all pointillism design. And Beautiful. we're only going to be re- releasing these in very limited runs. That's mm-hmm. the whole idea of this. Yeah. So it's pretty dope. Totally. So make sure you go check it out on our website, be stra- or straightupstrange.com. Sorry, yeah, guys. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You can always go on Etsy, too. We have uh, the Straight Up Strange shop as well. And while you mentioned just straight be strange, uh, mm-hmm. you can follow us on Instagram at be strange. Yeah, yeah. For all the updates. Yeah. And all the, yeah, all the latest. Um, we also wanted to welcome Kimberly B to our Patreon community. Yeah, what's up? What, what? So stoked to have you. I know. I am really excited. We actually had a really fun release this up, or this month, I should say. Mm-hmm. It was our 
Legends of the Giant Turtles. Giant Turtles, Like giant. We're talking giant. Massive. And it was really fun. I actually just found this incredible piece of art at work today when I was browsing through Paul Morstad's Hobo Dynasty collection from 2015. Mm -hmm. And he actually has a piece called Let the Good Times Roll. And it's a giant flying turtle with a playing band on top. It's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. So, so cool. Yeah, I, uh, I love it. But anyways, go check out our Patreon if you guys are interested in uh, some extra stuff from us and some goodies along the way. We uh, have a massive backlog of episodes that's now. That's true. So if you're just joining us uh, on Patreon now, as opposed to have, having been with us the whole time, shout out to everyone who's been with us our the OGs. whole time. Uh, there's a lot to listen to. There's a lot of really cool stuff on there. So mm-hmm. go check it out. There's a bunch of tiers. It really helps us out because it just kind of accumulates over the months and then it helps cover like everything we do to we got keep big this plans. rolling we do have big plans we do we want to um do like remote episodes where we go on location for you guys mm-hmm. it's kind of funny we're actually working that slightly like <laughs> this isn't part of the patreon but we want to uh, to include some weird uh, legendary themes in our honeymoon coming up this fall <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be traveling in Europe and we're going to cover some stuff, maybe even Castle Hoska. Going to some weird places for sure. Actually, definitely Castle Hoska and shout out to Jan and Alishka. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to be visiting them. So yeah, we wanted to update like our mic equipment so we can have a really cool like on the go type of microphone and mm-hmm. different things like that so we can just keep doing cool stuff for you guys. Yeah. And, and release while we're on the road too. That'd be yeah, awesome. Totally. Anyways. Yeah. So that's kind of the wrap up there. You Let's ready get to into it. jump into this? Okay. Yeah. So today we are discussing a pretty strange case, one that involves a, a plethora of everything. Thing, right? It's hoaxes, misinformation layered over top of what, for all intents and purposes, could have at one point been a very real discovery of sorts. Mm-hmm. But this is a really convoluted and just very strange story. Essentially, we're talking about an artifact, and I'm air quoting for everyone at home here. An artifact uh, or a specimen? A specimen. I would say an artifact at first because it was never examined as a specimen. It was in the ice. It was only like nobody knew exactly what they were looking at or what they were dealing with. Outside of the people that were – exactly. Outside of the people that were in the know maybe. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But of course this thing, whatever you want to refer to it as, is best known as the Minnesota Iceman, even though Mm -hmm. it traveled in many other places other than Minnesota to be – displayed. I'm curious for all of our Minnesota listeners, if you guys are familiar with this story, if this is old news to you, or if you've heard it a million times, or if you heard it from a relative. Or, it, it was mm-hmm. in the 70s, 60s and 70s yep. uh, when it was a thing. So pretty fascinating. Yeah. Let yeah. us know if you guys know anything about this personally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Hit us up. But yeah, like, like I said, the story begins in the late 1960s when attention was drawn to essentially a carnival and sideshow act, I'm going to call it, because it really was a mix of different things like that. And it had been traveling around the Midwest, and this specific attraction that became known as the Minnesota Iceman was being purveyed by a man named Frank D. Hansen. And he was displaying it at the time under the name uh, the Sibirskoye Creature. The Sibirskoye Creature, Classic. which is like... A reference to Siberia. Let's let's leave it at that because we're going to come mm-hmm. back to that uh, a little later. This is a, a, a East Siberian Sea, a, a area of the East Siberian Sea, essentially here. And I'm looking okay. at a bunch of ridiculously hard to pronounce Russian words. Um, but this is a portion of the Arctic Ocean. It's located between the Arctic Cape to the north, uh, the coast of Siberia to the south, and then a bunch of stuff that we've referenced before, including Wrangell Island to the mm-hmm. east in that sort of whole Arctic area. The there. Wrangell Island mammoths. Which is, of course, implying that the creature was discovered 
in that area. You know, that's a very interesting connection, especially because it is in the vicinity of Wrangell, which is known and highly regarded as a as a legit authentic place where mammoths were residing up until 1300 years ago if i'm not something mistaken. like into the bronze age into exactly the bronze age. sorry sorry yeah. yeah that would have been a little bit further than, but you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah it was so how many other things could have done done the same thing yep. right mm-hmm. but we'll come back to this because it's a it's a name that frank just kind of applied to it and it ties into some other potential origin stories as well but let's come back to the main story here so It was the fall of 1967 when things kind of really started to take off because there was this young guy by the name of Terry Cullen who was visiting specifically the area, the outskirts of Milwaukee, when he first heard about this exhibit, which was in, you know, the Milwaukee, Chicago kind of like outskirts area. I've never physically been to that area. I know it's all in the same neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. And this was a traveling exhibition, right? But he caught wind of this. He was... And he was a naturalist, described as that in most articles, but he was studying zoology. He was a zoology major at the University of Minnesota in the late 1960s. And he was en route specifically to take a look at a stock exhibition, like literally just farm animals. He was going to write an article and a paper on it as a scholarly work for his for his schooling, essentially, right? But he caught wind of this Iceman. And of course, he's going to be intrigued. He's a zoologist. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to the exhibition, the exhibit, meets Frank, He's pretty skeptical at first as far as the accounts that we've looked at say. He pays a 25-cent fee to view what was being dubbed the Iceman. And we don't really know exactly how long he spent with it the first time. He would end up traveling around with it, but he studied it as thoroughly as he could the very first time because it wasn't really clear exactly. This block of ice, we're going to get to the description in a second, you guys, but it was very opaque in some sections, Mm -hmm. clear in other sections, and really hard to kind of get an idea of really what you were looking at. Makes sense. It's like... Yeah, ice is definitely not transparent by all means. Like an ice cube is even not transparent. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. But even even so, in the end, he ultimately concluded after this first viewing that he was looking at what he thought was a real corpse. What exactly of what or who or when, he wasn't exactly sure, but he wanted to keep studying it. The point here is that he claimed at that time that he believed to have seen a genuine corpse of either an ancient human or some type of like Bigfoot-like creature. Oh, okay. So definitely, because it was described as being covered in hair. Well, this was exactly, okay, this was a description of what Terry saw. And it was what he described as a six foot tall, hairy, ape-like creature slash man. It was laying on its back in a block of ice, like we said, kind of opaque, kind of not the best situation. And it was in a large freezer sealed with a thick pane of glass on the top. I've heard other descriptions where it's like a glass coffin kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And like you said already, some of it was murky as far as the ice was concerned. Some of it was clear, but there was enough that could be seen to make out basic features, such as an upturned nose with very large nostrils, um, Mm -hmm. like a snub nose is how it's been described. Right. One of his eyes was actually dislodged and it was hanging out of the socket and it looked like some sort of head wound, obviously, probably gunshot is kind of the most logical. I've seen that description a lot, too. Of course, and that and that leads into all kinds of other specula- speculation. This last because part, there wouldn't be a gunshot wound if it was an ancient that's true. human, right? So exactly. It, we'll or, yeah, exactly. Is this a modern Neanderthal? Anyways, we're going to get into that in a second here. <laughs> a modern Neanderthal. We're air quoting here again, right? <laughs> <laughs> this was funny, though. In the Skeptoid article, they describe how its left hand was thrown up over its head and they don't describe this, but it actually did have some sort of injury. It looked like it was apparent, like a broken bone or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then its right hand, this is a quote, was strangely holding its penis up across its abdomen. 
That's the first time I've ever seen that description. Yeah, I've seen it in a few. Um, mm-hmm. In one of uh, Bernard Huevelman's... Oh, I hope I'm pronouncing oh, he's graphic. He, he mentions that. It, it's in a few different uh, yeah. descriptions. Anyway. I continue. had another description from Scientific American. It's slightly more elaborate, and it describes the chest as robust and barrel-shaped. It had a thick neck, large hands and feet. Um, the face was broad, flattened, and possessed a short, upturned nose, like I already said, and a prominent brow ridge. Like distinctly like a Neanderthal. Very Especially much so. the brow ridge. The classic caveman, if sure. you're thinking that. You totally. know what I mean? And again, yeah, the gunshot was just, or apparent gunshot <laughs> wound from the eye was described in this scenario. And the bend in the forearm interpreted as evidence of a fractured radius in ulna. This is a direct quote from Scientific American. So Sanderson and Huevelmans were intrigued by its enormous hands. Its thumb was slender, tapered, and long. Its nails were flat, yellow, and had an appearance almost that looked manicured. And a heel-like <laughs> yeah. pad was present on the palm's outer side, a feature suggested by Sanderson to be indicative of habitual quadrupedal behavior. Right. Yes. And this was at one point during the examination, the glass over the case cracked, releasing an odor described as that of decomposing flesh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. See, that's interesting too, this note, this idea of habitual quadrupedal behavior. And obviously Sanderson, Ivan T. Sanderson and Bernard Huevelmans, who we'll describe in detail, we, we sort of just chuck them in there without introducing them to you guys. Some of you will be familiar with it. We've referenced them in the past, but neither of them initially at all obviously believed gun like nobody was thinking gunshot or anything like that they firmly believed that it was a yeah an ancient species of some kind well i don't know yeah exactly and as it develops these two men both prominent cryptozoologists of their era right would divide and this would cause an irreparable rift between these two gentlemen unfortunately it would would. but it's kind of funny you mentioned that because uh one of huevelman's uh prominent theories, uh, not just related to this case, but overall in uh, the hominin, like unknown hominins and all that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of makes sense about how it could have gone back and reverted to quadrupedal behavior or not gone back, but he kind of theorizes that apes are a uh, specialized um, like descendant from man so as right. if they've just evolved differently anyways it, it, we'll get into that we'll, in a we'll come back to that yeah I let's, let's get back to, to the story here. we'll get back to the 100 percent. i don't i do want to just chuck this in at the end here because this idea of decomposing flesh and being able to smell it mm-hmm. through the ice is interesting yeah and i want to just make a point of saying that now because i want to come back to that it's a it's it's for everyone out there and for also for me to remember to come back to that in the yeah. story here okay let's come back to terry cullen because he was hooked in a way, and this is before um, Sanderson and Huevelmans had a chance to check it out. But he would end up, like I said before, traveling around with the display in order to study it further. And he spent time through Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, a couple other places, and was with it for a long time until the tour actually ended in the uh, – 1968, like the end of the exhibition season, presumably winter. And that's a reference from Lauren Coleman's work. But the Iceman was on display at some pretty strange places, really, like shopping malls, state fairs. Very legitimate. Like, like, you know, like, exactly, right? Like places that really make, that definitely don't add legitimacy to what Frank was saying. They're just trying to make money off it, seemingly. They don't want it to be examined. They don't want it to be in a museum. Unless they could sell it for a bunch of money, I'm imagining. There are, of course, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I probably should have dug into it, but it's just occurring to me now. Cases where people have probably put things on display like this in a very carnival-like way when they are indeed real 
interesting things, like say a mammoth tusk or something, or like whatever, mm. or like a dine. You know what I mean? Like An other artifact, things that are like yeah. yeah, strange, could be fake potentially, or some people might believe that they're fake. Yeah, you like know a what Ripley's, saying? believe it or not, exactly. He was kind of the right? blueprint for that one. Basically, the long and short of it is, though, Cullen at one point in time felt like he was more or less in over his head, and he decided to try to contact Ivan T. Sanderson, who was a prominent cryptozoologist. He wrote different zoology articles and just different sort of like paranormal articles and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. too. He lived in New Jersey, and although the two didn't really know each other well, there was a few references I saw that made it seem as if Cullen had contacted him in the past because he read his work. But it's pretty mm. funny because Bernard Huevelmans, who's the, the Belgian, like, famous cryptozoologist, French-Belgian, he's like the mm-hmm. Poirot of cryptozoology, right? <laughs> he happened to be staying with Ivan T. Sanderson at the time um, that this was all going down in the late 1960s. He was visiting mm-hmm. his house, which was actually, according to Lauren Coleman, dubbed the farm by, like, cryptozoologists and friends of Ivan T. Sanderson. Really? It was like this oh, meeting place for talking about weird stuff. Well, that's cool. But like Colin, the, the farm, as the if they're farm. growing things. Ideas, Ideas. perhaps? Ooh. I don't know. Mm. We, yeah. But he contacts Sanderson. They end up both coming out. Pretty interesting. I have a quote here directly from uh, Huevelmans, and let's, let's, uh, let me just read that, and then we'll continue on here. The specimen at first looks like a man, or if you prefer, an adult human being of the male sex, of rather normal height, roughly six feet, and proportions, but excessively hairy. It is entirely covered with very dark brown hair, three to four inches long. Its skin appears wax-like, similar in color to the cadavers of white men not tanned by the sun. The specimen is lying on its back. Left arm is twisted behind the head with the palm of the hand upward. The arm makes a strange curve, as if it were that of a sawdust doll. Interesting. But this creature... uh, Sorry, this curvature, rather, is due to an open fracture midway between the wrist and the elbow, where one can distinguish a broken ulna in a gaping wound. The right arm is twisted, held tightly against the flank, with the hand spread palm down over the right side of the abdomen, between the right finger and the medius, the penis is visible, lying obliquely on the groin. So that's the specific description from... Huevelman's after him and Sanderson had three hours uh, initially inspecting the specimen. And then over the course of three days, they stayed there to go back. Exactly. They're invited to his shed, essentially, weren't they? His his little little trailer. His little trailer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very legit. Which also doesn't sound super legitimate. (laughs) But, I mean, you're not going to have the red carpet Mm -hmm. traveling around in the fancy Metallica tour bus. I mean, not a thing. But they were completely convinced after inspecting for these three days that the creature was authentic, that they were looking at some sort of an ancient creature. And they started spreading this through their colleagues, essentially. Sanderson even started to basically refer to it as a bozo very affectionately Mm -hmm. because it was talked about so frequently. He ended up giving it a nickname. Bozo, even though that kind of went against him to a certain degree because it was almost like making light of the discovery and like not really taking it In the carnival context, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't. It depends on how you look at it. Was it's that Bozo a- the Clown, though. That's a very... I just wanted to just touch on a few things you read in that little uh, sure. quote there. Because like, it, it sounds... I don't even know. Like it, it does sound like a legitimate description from what you could like render from this thing that is frozen solid in the ice. That was interesting. The sawdust doll thing that you uh, yeah, mentioned that, as that's well. that's interesting. And commented on. I... 
I'm just like, for me, if I was either one of those guys, I would just like, I wouldn't be satisfied until I had a chance to look at it out of the ice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because ice can do a lot to make something look real, like special effects real. Totally. And we'll get into the possible origins where this thing came from. We but you know what I mean? Like that's like the wax-like skin. I know a dead thing obviously looks waxy like everyone. But that's but. why, again, I'm already coming back to it. I'm glad I mm-hmm. made that emphasis there. They described a portion of the ice being broken away where they could detect what they thought was rotting flesh. Yeah, the putre- putrefaction. Putre- exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's there's obviously going to be like, uh, even on something fake, bacterial buildup and maybe a not a good smell, but presumably they would be able to tell. Maybe Initially. You would think. But they're pretty excited, unless, obviously, right? They're really yeah. excited. They're, ex- they're yeah, like, totally. what am I looking at? What is this? Exactly. Unless it's like this weird thing that's an amalgamous form of dead things like that exactly. he just made. <laughs> and we're not saying one way or the other. We're <laughs> just not. telling you the story and yeah, then we'll make totally. judgments at okay. the end. All right. Let's save it for the end. So over the, but they were convinced. And over the next few years, these two different cryptozoologists, because that's what they were, would both publish multiple papers on this find and speculating as to it, what what it might be. But Huevelmans was a little more specific. He published uh, in the Belgian journal the Bulletin of the Royal Institute of Natural Sciences of Belgium. Catchy name. <laughs> His theory that the Iceman was a brand new species because he couldn't he couldn't match it up specifically with known hominids, I guess. So he, he was ca- creating a new subspecies. Or he something. called it, and let me try my best here, Homo pon- pon- Goitis? Pongoidus. Homo pongoidus. Hmm. Obviously, people were pretty skeptical of this, right? Because he was just straight up claiming. I think a lot of people call it the Pongo Man. The Pongo. Actually, that might be a bastardization of that. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Hit us up if we're wrong. Sanderson uh, wrote in a different a different journal that ended up being published in uh, a men's magazine known as Argosy. This was in May of 1969. And it was illustrated with the photographs that they had taken. And there was a lot of them. They took a lot of pretty detailed photographs. But Sanderson kind of took things to the next level at this point because there was a lot of indications he did not want this thing left on the carnival circuit. He didn't want it in the hands of Frank Hansen anymore. And we'll come back to Frank because there's some details about him that are pretty important, right? But Mm. essentially, Sanderson, as the story goes, concocted a scheme to... Try to get it out of uh, Hanson's hands. Try to make him look not good. <laughs> he reported him to like everything under the sun, essentially. He he alerted the Bureau of Customs, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Health, Education, even the FBI at, at one point got involved, basically claiming that he was traveling with the corpse of a human. And I think this is where the gunshot thing really gets emphasized because I believe Sanderson made that emphasis. He was traveling with a frozen, literal human corpse with a gunshot wound, and this guy should probably have it taken out of his hands. Mm-hmm. I've heard other versions where it was actually the claims that Huevelmans was making about the Vietnamese origins of the creature and how it possibly could have been murdered during the Vietnam War and smuggled back into the United States. And then the the, the word murder was obviously a, a key word in that sentence. And, and it was uh, jo- John Napier. 
John? Yeah, yeah. yeah John uh, Dr. Napier John Napier. Napier, he worked for the Smithsonian Institute, and he was the one supposedly, it, I've heard different versions though, apparently he decided to contact the FBI and get them involved. And yeah, that was before that he was fully convinced that this thing was just a hoax altogether. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, I found it a little murky when, when Napier, or Napier, whatever, becomes involved, uh, roughly 69, 70, there was obviously a whole bunch of hype after Sanderson and Huevelman inspected this and these journal articles started to be published mm-hmm. and different things like that. Much to the, like, you know, disdain of Frank Hansen, he was not happy about this. He didn't want the publicity. He was happy to just keep doing his carnival circuit thing and didn't really want that sort of attention because he wasn't making any money off this attention. Mm-hmm. Take that as you will. I don't know how much judgment we can really cast on him just for that. But anyway... <laughs> on Hanson, sorry? Maybe? On Hanson, yeah, mm-hmm. for being kind of ticked off about that. Yeah. But, but the, the reference I have here is that Napier actually tried to contact Hanson before any of this, uh, before all these journal articles were really coming out from Huevelman's and okay. Sanderson, after they had inspected it, but before all these publications. Mm-hmm. And that he reached out and tried to inspect it, but then never got a reply, and then finally got one back from a unnamed family member. I'm air quoting again, everybody. <laughs> Of of Frank Hansen stating that he either left to Florida or California or somewhere maybe on the West Coast. No one really knew where he went, but he was gone and the original Iceman had been returned to its original owners hmm. so that he couldn't inspect it. Shit Uh-oh. out of luck. That sucks. And that kind of leads to, I think, more sinister origins for the Iceman. But where right. did this thing really come from? Like, it's pretty murky, like we've already alluded to. Very strange. The yeah. real owner. Some people have thought of it, it could be an eccentric billionaire that's unnamed. Uh, that's what Hansen actually alluded to at several points. He changed his story a few times, he but he started with, mm-hmm. I think this was the one, the first iteration of it. Yep. He would later change it to say that he had actually shot the Iceman while he was hunting in Minnesota. But anyways, other people thought that uh, the, the owner could be actor Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> not super familiar with him but yeah apparently he's involved and, in this and, and how exactly he would have met and rented or loaned his yeah, personal exactly. Iceman to hmm. Frank Hansen is unknown hmm. yeah exactly dubious there was another sort of Hollywood-esque origins for this in 1967 Howard Ball who made figures for Disneyland with his son Kenneth uh, claimed to have modeled this fake specimen in rubber trying to make it look like an artist's conception of Cro-Magnon man with a broken skull and one eye popped out. That's detail, man. It's detailed, but mm-hmm. I do want to throw this in there. This this when this story really started to break, there was multiple Hollywood makeup and effects artists and different things like that that at different points in time said, yeah, you know, that was me. It was very much like the Patterson Gimlin film mm-hmm. where there was all these people saying, that was me in the suit or that was me that made the suit. Right. None of them could prove it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So that reminds me a lot of that because yeah. there was a few different makeup artists and effects people that said, oh, yeah, 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 that was me. That was me. And then it's like, well, you're yeah. convoluting this and because well, where, he said it was. Where's your photographs? Where's your molds? Exactly. Where's your all your evidence, sure. right? Like where is And it? surely somebody could produce them or whatever from mm-hmm. Planet of the Apes and different things like that. That was in the 60s, wasn't it? Yeah, somewhere in there. Anyway. And there was another woman by the name of Helen Westring who claimed that she had shot the Minnesota Iceman back in 1966. It apparently attacked her and attempted to rape her while she was hunting in the woods. And that uh, brings us to the idea of a Sasquatch-like creature Mm -hmm. rather than an ancient hominid trapped in ice. I had that as a question at the very end. Are we dealing with Bigfoot? Is this, uh, yeah, exactly. Is this 
something related to that. But anyways, there was another version of the story uh, where Hansen had claimed that it was a group of Russian vessels that had found the creature floating in a two and a half ton block of ice that was floating off the coast of eastern Siberia, which is where it kind of originally got that name. Right. And the the cyber scope. Soki or whatever. I don't even know. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) They brought it back and eventually it found its way onto the black market. There was kind of an extended version of this where somehow this thing ends up in Hong Kong. Yeah. And it's in this like Hong Kong deep freeze where it's discovered and purchased uh, for by like a dealer, you know, obviously black market dealings. (laughs) Sure. uh, By an anonymous. American millionaire. How do you even list? So how do you find a buyer for something? I want to why know do you what want it's it like too? in the black market. And, and why that's would interesting? Exactly. And what what would be the purpose? And how much did you buy for it? <laughs> I want to know. Well, we can talk about that. It was a listing price for the fake one in 2013. Right. We'll come back to that. Yes. Fake or real? No, anyways. Mm. Um, or really the real one. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where it makes its hands into the hands of Hansen, who begins renting it for exhibition. Uh, there's another one here that we already alluded to, and that's the Vietnam connection. <laughs> Vietnam! Yeah, really <laughs> emphasizing your Canadian accent Nam. on tonight's show. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, well, let's just own it. Okay, wait, what was the thing I was saying at work earlier? <laughs> oh, man, what was it? I don't even It was remember. some type of wine, I think, anyways. It was bad. <laughs> Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Anyways, some actually believe that the Iceman, like I said already, Hoevelmans was a supporter of this argument, that it was a corpse that was smuggled out of Vietnam by drug traffickers. And I was uh, reading this review in Scientific American by a guy named Nash, and he read Hoevelmans' book, and he has this quote here that says, Hoevelmans goes as far as suggesting that the entire drug-running operation may have even originated from the specific event involving the Iceman, that it established the plan, that it then became the standard practice in drug smuggling operations. Hmm. That's kind, of, that's, a, that's kind of a reach, though, too. But no, I, guess. I, mean, no, I mean, it makes sense that that would be drug smuggling. a popular way so, to smuggle So you got, you got a corpse. He's a hairy hominid, unknown creature. You shot him. He's dead. He's murdered. We don't know what to do with him. We put him in a bag. We put a bunch of drugs in the bag. We put the bag <laughs> on a plane, and we get the plane to the U.S. Is that the idea? Is that the blueprint? <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is uh, the <laughs> Coles. I, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's, the, it's definitely the translated and abbreviated version of whatever Hoevelmans was thinking <laughs> was would make sense in this context for a creature from Vietnam making its way into the hands of Frank Hansen in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Like not in on either of the coasts, not at a port, in a mm. port city. Well, the billionaire it. doesn't have to live in the port. Yeah, but we the, don't even have millionaire. a name for a billionaire or millionaire. It's That's an just, anonymous we, billionaire. We, at least we have Frank Hansen's okay. name. He's the only connection we have. All we really Who have... Who is Frank Hansen? Is that his real name? Do you hmm. know that for a fact? We will talk about <laughs> Frank Hansen a little bit. But okay. let's, let's continue. Let's on. continue with this Vietnam connection. Because Hoevelman's wording, like I already said before, may have been the cause of some trouble because he kind of alluded to the idea that the specimen was murdered, which means that this is a, a definite human, right? How do you right. define human? We're getting into existentialist conversation here because it's very interesting. The Smithsonian and the FBI were invo- both involved with this. However, <laughs> Edgar J. Hoover... <laughs> yeah, yeah, the big boy here. Hoover said that it had to be dismissed because um, if it was a non-human, no crime had been committed. Right. If 
if it was a non-human. So maybe that's why Hansen disappeared. Because he was like, oh, snap, I'm about to get in some serious, you know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, yeah, if he was rocking a real corpse, if, if that's what you believe. And yeah. obviously, we're going to talk about it in a second here, the idea of multiple re-thaws, re-melts and freezes. Of, or multiple Icemen. Of, of, of multiple. I like my uh, header for this one. It's one Iceman, two Icemen, three Icemen. Well, let's none. jump right into it. <laughs> Or none in capital letters with an exclamation mark. (laughs) Yes, because there is obviously a lot of controversy on this. John Napier or Napier, he was, there's a few different versions that I saw where essentially he was either invited to examine the specimen and declared it um, fake himself, or he was denied the look altogether. But, so this is when exactly he becomes convinced it's nothing more than a latex model. It's a hoax, definitely. And Sanderson... Okay, this is where I believe the story that Napier actually did get to look at this creature because it doesn't really make a lot of sense if he didn't, what Sanderson actually said afterwards. So Sanderson went as far as to say that he confirmed the view of Napier that this was a latex model because it was different, like physically different Different than the Iceman that he previously examined. Right. So... This is weird because it's contrary to Hoevelman's views, which we will get into in just a second here. But Hansen, so this original purveyor, admitted that he had withdrawn the original Iceman and replaced it with a new model. But when, why, and where did the first Iceman go is my question here. So this gets into this idea that the Iceman had definitively different appearances throughout the years it was on exhibit right yeah this is leading some to wonder how many models had been made if if it actually was the case that there were multiple models or even just one replacement model others believe that the model or body whatever you want to call it was that was used by hansen was defrosted and refrozen again for each outing so it would have had a slightly different pose angle appearance including either an open mouth or closed mouth kind of thing Hmm. interestingly enough hoevelman's he denied the idea that there was a replacement model and that it was legitimately just the thawing and refreezing of the creature that was causing these differences he kind of held on to this but it does go against what Hansen was saying, how he did replace it. Right. Even though yeah. Hansen doesn't seem very credible and he changes the story all the time. So what's... He's also being bombarded by FBI, mm-hmm. cryptozoologists, zoologists from the University of Minnesota, this, that, and the other thing. And he's just a freaking carnival guy trying to make a living and whether or not he, the origins, and he's just trying to save his ass. Like there's a lot yeah. of different contexts that we don't know. Exactly. We can make snap judgments about a lot of this stuff. Totally. He doesn't seem legitimate, but you never know. Yeah. I included this quote uh, that Nash had in his review of Hoevelman's book, which was recently translated from French for the first time back in 2016. And this is what he says here, Hoevelman. I was the only one to believe it was still the actual corpse. Emphasis in original. Um, True, I had definitive advantage over everyone else. I was the only one to have made excellent photos of the original exhibit. I had seen, I had been sent, sorry, a few color slides of Hansen's new exhibit. After a comparison with my own, I had to agree with the evidence that it was the same and only specimen. A lot of problems with this story is time and place of when certain things were said. And we have dates for publications, like for Sanderson and Hoevelmans, right? Like in 69 mm-hmm. and some stuff in the early 70s. 70s. I think it was 73 or 74, I can't remember now. And then there 
because this quote comes back in reference to the idea that they were admitting that they believed it's fake. And I, I added in at the end mm-hmm. for context because it because it's used in reference to the discovery of a very fake one in the 2000s mm-hmm. that they then bring this quote Are back. Are you talking about the Storage Wars one? Yeah. Mm. So it's all conv- very convoluted, right? Yes. And this was a quote from the book that was published back in the 1970s. Yeah. So there you go. So there's no way. Okay. So exactly. So that's, this is a quote from the 1970s. Yeah. That is very important. It's yeah. so specific. I said it was from his book that he published back in the 1970s. <sighs> it was we... actually co-authored. Oh, sorry. I didn't even quote the actual uh, okay. name of the book. Oh, off we'll the top of my now. head, it was called, it's called Neanderthal, the Strange Saga of the Minnesota Iceman. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We need to get that one in the library. Yeah. That's the 2016 English version. Right. And the original is obviously published back in the 1970s. The, you had a few interesting things to say to me today about the translations of his work. I guess we can come back to that in the end. Yeah. How it's... Well, yeah, we can. We can even just touch on that right now, sure. I guess. The idea that even... This is from Nash's review, the Scientific American review of his book and the English translation and how it comes across. And he kind of alluded to the idea that it comes across as a little bit hurried and angry to a lot of things and, and defensive too in some ways, um, especially of his more alternative theories and the idea that he's very... Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> he's very non-accepting of the mainstream philosophies and how he doesn't really want to uh, entertain those, but he has to to a certain degree. And He's always going against the grain. He kind of is. And I feel kind of bad for this guy to a certain degree because he was going through a really rough time when this was all going down. He was in the States and while he was there, he found out that his daughter had literally weeks to live and he couldn't get home. He, yeah, exactly. He couldn't get home in time and I don't think he hadn't got to say goodbye to her but it was a really rough time for him he was very vulnerable state of emotions and perhaps that did influence a little bit of his views on the subject or who knows it was just a big distraction for him maybe yeah and he emphasized mm -hmm. things maybe a little more perhaps perhaps but anyway let's continue on here because there's a few important differences including differences with that last quote that amber just read Mm -hmm. that we'll come back to in a sec But specifically, I wanted to talk about important differences with this information we've talked about so far and some of the information uh, in Lauren Coleman's book, Cryptozoology A to to Z, uh, as well as some work done by Mark A. Hall, who they've published things together. He's written uh, books on Thunderbirds and stuff like that, which we've referenced before. This came from Coleman's book. Like after the Iceman was quote unquote replaced with a fake rather than the original they had inspected, he Coleman claims that he has references stating that both Sanderson and Huevelmans could distinguish at least 15 technical differences between the original they inspected and it, the fo- those photos and then the replacement specimens. Whether or not mm-hmm. this means that they're just seeing differences of a fake body refrozen or... A, a fake body versus the photos of an original real body or, or a refrozen body or maybe he's just like or yeah or lumping. a third option a real body refrozen over and over again it's not mm-hmm. an ancient creature it's just a body that has like hair and it's rotting and all or something stuff. right that's strange maybe he accidentally well not accidentally but sort of just lumped in Huevelman's with sanderson and didn't really distinguish between the two because they did have differences in opinion but they both according to him claimed and i saw this in other articles too that they they claimed that their photos original photos were distinguishably different yeah so that is a fundamental difference from what we just talked about before with like right mm. like it's just convoluting it a little it, bit, right? it is but it does explain the idea that 
it did just become this big controversy over whether it was this new model, whether it was the same one all along, whether it was just being refrozen and like, you know right. what I mean? That type of thing. <laughs> this is getting confusing. <laughs> oh, this is, this is a simple story for you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry, guys. Yeah. Oh, man. It, I, it's definitely tough. It's tough because what does this all mean? I mean, it, it seems to just get stranger and stranger, right? Like for most people, the story goes that in 67, Hansen had essentially a latex rubber and hair replica of a creature, of a Cro-Magnon man creature, manufactured probably in California, you know, sometime in 19, you know, sometime in the 60s. And then in 69, had it replaced either with something else, but this is the same date that we have this convolution. Did he replace it with... Did he replace an original corpse in 69? Or did he have a manufactured corpse in 67 and it's been fake the entire time? We'll never know. You know what I mean? Because they've got these 15 discrepancy photographs and I don't really know. I do and have this, this is information from Lauren Coleman, This is correct? from Coleman's book, yeah. Cryptozoology A to Z. And okay. then this is a quote from Mark A. Hall. Well, I wanted to just bring this up because this is the idea that there was an original body and then this is might have might have been what happened to it. So Mark A. Hall says... And this was uh, later in the 90s that he had this to say. It is likely that the rotting corpse of the infamous Iceman was in, uh, in early 1969 deposited into an unmarked and now forgotten grave by agents of the owner. Many have hoped that one day a fortunate accident or an incident of the demise of a quote-unquote wild man would one day provide a corpse and confirm the existence of such relatives of humankind. The history of the Iceman, if accurate is harmful to this expectation. Yeah. Right? And mm -hmm. he's talking more specifically about Bigfoot, I think, in that reference, right? A little sort bit. Of. Like Harry hominids, yeah. And the idea that, oh, well, I mean, I don't even know. We'll, we'll come back to that in the theory section, but I just wanted mm -hmm. to read that for some context. I will make a point of saying, now that we're on this note of, like, Coleman's information versus Hoevelman's original writings and things of that nature, is the idea that even... Coleman was uh, the writer of the afterword of this new latest rendition, the translation into English of Hoevelman's original writings. Right. And in his afterword, he actually kind of <laughs> disregards a lot of what um, Hoevelman's originally had to say. And I do have a few more points to make on that. Yeah, I don't know. Like Coleman, he kind of has an interesting, well, what was interpreted by Scientific American, that Nash guy, as kind of like a, <laughs> not backhanded, but kind of just like a weirdly contrary sort of like afterward to a certain degree um talking about the evidence that indicated it was hoax all along um but then ending with the idea that it's like it could have been real and then the idea like he didn't agree Nash didn't agree with a lot of what Coleman had to say unfortunately yeah. and he said like he kind of wanted to there was this idea that Coleman actually implies that Hoevelmans was quote a victim of the scientific establishment and that he never managed to stir up professional interest by anthropologists or paleoanthropologists which was untrue obviously John Napier yeah. was involved yeah and then obviously yeah like Coleman has some differing views on the idea of these replacement models um, and kind of ignores Hoevelman's quote, strongly worded pronouncement to the contrary. <laughs> like, so it, I don't know. It's just like a lot of like, you know, men having different opinions blah, 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 on interpreting what people have said in the past Definitely. in certain ways or, or ignoring certain parts and then favoring people like Mark A. Hall, which Coleman leans heavily on in this afterward. He does. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 
And a big part of all this is, is comes back down to Frank, too, and the speculation over whether he was at all trustworthy at any given point in time, and mm-hmm. all indications were that he really was not, right? <laughs> I mean, the only evidence that the body was real was the verbal claim by Frank, and then the only thing on top of that the was the initial... The putrefaction and the claim from Sanderson, Huevelmans, and Terry Cullen, if you want to come back to Cullen, who mm-hmm. was studying zoology, wasn't a wasn't a rube. He knew what he was doing. But also got excited, potentially true, too, right? Mm -hmm. It was in June of 1969 that an issue of the Smithsonian Torch officially reported that the Iceman was, quote, made from latex rubber and hair by a group of uh, exhibit specialists uh, on the West Coast, basically Hollywood. Right. Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. Apparently, this would have cost in the neighborhood of $3,500 to $4,000 at the time which would have been a good chunk of change in the 1960s. This is the other thing that's strange because why would Frank Hansen go? He must have been real confident in his carnival act idea to mm-hmm. fork up that kind of money when it, by all intents, by all indications, he did not come from any sort of money. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a pretty penny to or is, pay to, to or do. Is it an elaborate hoax or, or joke by this eccentric unnamed millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> could be, could be. I mean, you're only charging 25 cents a pop for people to see it. You still got to like eat and sleep and do other things, let alone pay the bill for what you had made. True. Anyway, I thought that's that was true. kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But all of this kind of culminates too in this idea that you added in here that's really interesting and the whole just hominid evolutionary theory and different sort of living Neanderthal hypothesis mm-hmm. and Quivelman's really gets into this. Oh, totally. And it comes to the idea, like, if we do want to entertain the possibility that this Minnesota Iceman was of authentic origins, was a, a biological creature of some sort, is this something that was killed in modern times? Was this something that was frozen in a block of ice for thousands of years? Or You know what I mean? Yeah. You can get into all sorts of things. But Quivelman's has some very interesting ideas on the conception of the human species. And in this English translation of 2016, he stated that it was highly unlikely that humans descended from a brachiating ape. Brachiating means to move by using the arms to swing from branch to branch. And just a very loose Mm. translation or definition. But it says here um, that the humans descended from something that was, quote, probably some kind of infra-pygmy, a round-headed gnome walking upright. In other words, oh, sorry, an eothropus imagined by leading anthropologists such as Marcel and Boulle in France and Henry F. Osborne in the USA. Interesting. He ties this idea to this, like, and it's, this is just generally tied to the idea of reverse evolution or this, quote, de-evolution. The, it's kind of an opposite to what mainstream scientific established takes to be true about human history in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this dehumanization, which is another popular term associated with these alternative ideas on human evolution actually revolves around the notion that apes and monkeys of today represent a quote specialized dehumanized descendant of humans so oh. they're they've just gone down a different line than us and uh things as such as like i already mentioned like uh, walking upright aren't actually so recent in human evolutionary forms interesting exactly so he's definitely a little out there with some of his ideas oh totally and he quotes a lot of time from this guy a german zoologist by the name of francois Dessart, and he is a zoologist. He also specializes in thing called itch, itch thylology, the study Ooh, of fishes. From cool. what I could 
gather from the French version of Wikipedia. All right, all right. Anyways, <laughs> he's a proponent of all types of ideas like this, and he had this cartoon illustration of what basically looked like a fish-human nymph-like creature coming out of the water, like, you know, like a tadpole type thing, slowly becoming what is a human, and then slowly turning into what looks like a monkey. Interesting. So it's like this, like, reverse evolution thing. I don't know. Well, you've had this interesting point. I think you'll probably bring it up in a second here about how the foot of primates Mm. is believed to be much more advanced than humans. Exactly. Which is kind of an interesting thought. Yes, exactly that. The idea that human, the human foot is actually less evolved than the primate foot. And there's this idea also tied into all of this that's called initial bipedalism, which is, quote, a hypothesis which proposes that the human body shape and habit of erect walking are not recent evolutionary evolutions, but ancient ones, primitive not only hominoids or primates, but rather or perhaps to mammals and even to a far more inclusive clad of vertebrates, end of quote. That was a niche quote there from his Scientific okay. American Review. Exactly. We're talking walking dolphins in the past. All right. I think they actually did that in South Park, didn't they? Uh, <laughs> the killer sounds, dolphins. That rings a bell. That, that rings a bell. I, I can't remember. That's really weird stuff, though, to think, Isn't right? that strange? And for all of the research that we've done into, like, you know, Bigfoot and just, like, hairy hominids and all this kind of thing, I've never actually come across this involved. I don't really want to call it, like, pseudoscience or just, like, it's just an alternative idea. I guess that's kind of a neat way to look at, yeah, like like Sasquatch, Bigfoot, these types of creatures, uh, you know, the Almas and Siberian, things like that, be, as a de- de-evolution mm-hmm. rather than a, a branch from something totally separate. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty and interesting. Ex- exactly, right. And so this is where we get into this idea of living Neanderthals and the H. pungoidus which is actually called Ape-Like Man, which was the name given to the Iceman by Hoevelmans. You already mentioned it off the bat at the top of the episode. Yeah. He actually declared it a previously unknown species of human genus and settled on the idea that it was, quote, a form of living Neanderthal. So this it's is our kind bread of and crazy. butter, right? Like whether or not this is entirely a hoax, <laughs> at least this the idea and the perpetuation of this belief, even if you if you think it can be dangerous or whatever, I don't think so because it keeps it keeps people going. It keeps Sanderson's and these types of folks looking into the stuff. People like us, you guys listening that are interested in this kind of weird stuff. Yeah. It's just how much of it is actually supported. Like Sanderson, sorry, not Sanderson's, Hoevelmans goes on to say that a lot of the recent quote unquote um, discoveries related to hominids and just archaeology in general. Archaeology? (laughs) Paleontology. Paleontology. Archaeology. That's all. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Study of ancient dead things. (laughs) Digging stuff up. Yeah. But uh, he actually said that a lot of the recent discoveries in his time, at least, uh, supported his hypotheses as he saw them fit. Well, I'm not sure if he was like cutting and pasting and make things fit or what, because I didn't, be. I've never read a lot of his uh, stuff is in French. Sure. I don't read French. I would really like to get my hands on this book, though. And it's only like 15 bucks, so we should definitely order it. No, definitely. Yes. The only thing I will say is that obviously like in a vacuum, that sounds crazy, right? Like, so like for specifically looking at the Iceman and how crazy this whole story is and this whole and and the theories you just talked about with Huevelmans and his ideas on evolution and de-evolution but then at the same time we have constant encounters and sightings with 
creatures that are described as Neanderthal-like, specifically Mm -hmm. the ones in Siberia, which is ironic that it was referenced in this story because they're often very different than Bigfoot-like creatures. They're much more human-like, even described as wearing clothes in some Mm -hmm. cases, uh, creating fire, using tools, but distinctly like brow ridge, you know, lips, like not like humans as today. Mm -hmm. And this happened, and these, these, they're still encountered all the time by the Mansi and different indigenous populations of Siberia and Russians as well. You know, it's kind of interesting though, that that terminology de-evolution, because it kind of speaks to the idea that it's uh, a predetermined road, but that we are actually predetermining like judgment on a more primitive versus the idealized version of the species. You know what I mean? To a certain degree. The we idea suck. That, no, 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 I know. <laughs> but like the idea that these things represent a de-evolution away from the idealized form, which is us. That's a very right. uh, narcissistic idea to a certain degree. Absolutely it is. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It, it, it was kind of interesting too. This was another quote from uh, the book here from Huevelman's uh, 1916, 2016 <laughs> <laughs> um, reprint of his uh, Anglic- anglicized version. It says, the Iceman represents, quote, the final extreme of accelerated Neanderthal evolution. Hmm. hmm. So what does that actually mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> and this is where Sanderson obviously disagreed with the idea that Iceman was Neanderthal and these two would just go further and further away in, right. in their ideas overall. Which is kind of sad. It's kind of funny. If, Cull- if Terry Cullen didn't make the call that day. They still would have been buds. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Unless they would have found a way to the Iceman. I'm sure eventually they would have caught wind and gone Probably. and check it out. I'm wondering. Yeah. All in all, you know, most people are going to say straight up, this was all, a, a, you know, just a big hoax, right? This was all just a big mm-hmm. carnival act. It was a big stain on both their careers and all this stuff. Like, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just just pervaded by Hansen as, as a means of making income and all the stories were to obviously keep it alive. Uh, even though he easily could have, you know, at, there was at times he said, yeah rubber latex but never really specifically said the entire time it was the replacement was he always Mm -hmm. it was all kept always kept very vague but then in 2013 very recently everyone's probably i don't i haven't watched the show some of you might storage wars or shipping wars rather sorry Shipping Wars. I think Storage Wars <laughs> was a different one. Okay. I believe this has to do with shipping containers, right? That oh, people yeah. That end up like auctioning off. That makes sense. Whatever, something along those Probably. lines. Probably. So this is on A&E that actually featured the Iceman. So this was an episode titled Crypt Prankology, where a truck driver actually ends up picking up the Iceman in Gro- Cottage Grove, Minnesota. Then in 2013, same year, it ends up being listed on eBay and apparently sold for 20 grand. Now, this is clearly the replica, Iceman. It was purchased by a guy named Steve Busti. I'm assuming that's an Italian last name. Trying to pronounce it with an Italian name. Busti. Busti. He's a busty guy. Yeah, you never know. I've never, I haven't heard, I haven't heard that term in a long time. She's a really busty gal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't hear that that often. Stella's a busty gal. She is indeed. That's our bulldog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can go see this thing, though, you guys, long and short of it. And we've got some friends out in Texas. So, I mean, like, shout out to Toby, shout out to Bailey, shout out to, like, you know, we've got a bunch of people out there. Uh, So, yeah, this is in Austin, the Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas. You can go check this out. Now, of course, most articles that feature this in it are going to say, case closed, clearly a hoax. It was a hoax in 67. It's a hoax now. Mm -hmm. Here's one of the replicas of what was a carnival carnival show sideshow act the entire time yeah but there's so much more 
that we've talked about. There throughout this. really is. And it's interesting because Busty, the owner of this new, mu- not new museum, the Museum of the Weird, he's of the mind that, well, obviously he wants to purvey this as an artifact and all that kind of stuff still. But he thought that there was no foreign origins, but it was actually shot in Wisconsin by Hansen. He's sticking to that story. <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> I know. And, and, and that is a very specific thing. Like he went out on a, yeah, hunting expedition. He ended up there's a, go on that website and read that you guys it's it's mm-hmm. fascinating we didn't want to include it because it's it's for his museum mm-hmm. right <laughs> it's to try to to jazz it up but we're kind of coming down to the end here final thoughts theories and thoughts i mean ultimately after everything we've talked about do we truly believe that there was an original corpse let's i'm just going to say corpse doesn't have to be ancient or new just corpse i'm just throwing that out there where mm-hmm. do you stand on this I want to give him the credit of the doubt or the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) I'm tired. (laughs) But anyways, um, I really don't know what to make of this. I feel like it's really easy to misidentify something that is frozen in ice. I also think it's, it's very confusing. Like you said, right? This initial, if it was a $3,500 full replica replica model, like why would you go to that? degree and then why would you like so you're thinking okay if i spent thirty five hundred dollars on this i charge a 35 cent um like entrance fee to this i only need a thousand people to come see this thing before i've made up my money does that make sense does that yeah. that up no that'd be 350 <laughs> that'd be like ten thousand. no but i mean you, he, but he was traveling around for a long time presumably lots of people were checking this out but it's mm-hmm. like he to, to go to those lengths off for something just so like that doesn't sound like That's carnival a showman. folk though, it's a showman but it thing. doesn't sound like carnival folk they're looking for a cheap, easy way to make a quick buck. Anyway. I don't know if even, maybe that's just a, like, what if he didn't spend $3,500 on yeah, it? What if he, he spent did. like 20 bucks on it? Maybe. And he made it himself and he like fashioned it out of like dead deer and like a bear and just like kind See, of like mold it all together. Like that's totally, but then that. And that would explain putrefaction. That would explain the changing shapes of it over time. It would also. How lend, would you get the, the human face though? It would lend credence as well to his whole hunting story. True. If he was able to put something like that together. I just want to say, like, I already said this off the top, but, like, why didn't Sanderson Huevelmans just make him unfreeze it? Just thought out, let's examine it. I would have actually gone to lengths if it was, like, my career, my reputation. I probably would have tried to have stolen it from Well, I mean, Hansen. we talked about They tried to do essentially that. They went through official channels, though, according to your analysis. Well. We don't know these two guys personally, whether they were the Get type the of rough and tumble, you know, they put the masks on. Put the cat bug After hours, on. put the night vision on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, they could have done What do you it. think? I'm turning it on you. Well, obviously hoaxes are abundant and were abundant. Like, for example, there was another one, 1997, uh, a hoax in France that was very, very similar. There was another sort of like, quote unquote, ice man found. Mm. Totally confirmed, confirmed to be a hoax and written about by uh, Michel Renal, who is a French cryptozoologist. There was a bunch more after this, you know, in the 70s, 80s too, like right after 69 when this all came out. So I'm leaning towards the fact that overall the the story in and of itself is a hoax, but that perhaps it depends on what you think of Frank. It really, this is what it comes down to because what Sanderson and Huevelman saw and took pictures of and smelt putrefaction, like that initial story makes all the rest of this so weird because mm-hmm. whether or not he A, legitimately had an ancient creature or an ice man or whatever you want to call it that he purchased from someone or borrowed or rented or whatever, but was just a carnival guy. I don't know if I'm really buying that per se, because who is this eccentric millionaire random person? 
if he was legitimately spending the money, $3,500 on getting this done, he's clearly not just some, like, he should be given more credence as a human being, right? As, as like, a, a smart, intelligent, like, able to, like, you know what I mean? Like, he's painted as kind of a dum-dum and a liar by a lot of people. I don't even see him as a dum-dum. I just see him as shady and just, like, exiting the scene when he needs to, <laughs> you know? Well, he doesn't really exit the scene until, except for when he, did, he got yeah. reached out by exactly. the Smithsonian. Exactly. That's when everything got ugly and he's like, oh, no, all right, I'm out of here. Yeah, but that was a one-off. That's a true con he let, man he move, let, hey? he let multiple... I don't even think this guy's name was Frank. Yeah, but then we... <laughs> he. But then you referenced again, like, Napier did get to look at it. Ultimately... We want you guys to go check it out if you're in the vicinity of Austin and hit us up what you think this, uh, the clearly fake one, the gaff, the hoax looks like. Mm-hmm. Take some pictures. And we want to know what you think ultimately of this whole story. Yeah. Was there something real in the beginning? What do we think of Huevelmans and Sanderson mm-hmm. and just in general? And of uh, Frank. Yeah. And of Frank. Yeah. Could there have been a real Iceman at one point in time? You know what I kind of want to do now? What's that? <laughs> well, we got a really, really awesome gift in the mail, and it was a, <laughs> it was a little, you know, when you're a kid and you get those little dinosaurs and you put them in water and they grow. We got a Sasquatch. Oh my God! Shout out to Shay. Yeah, thank you, Shay. We really love so it. So amazing. And so we had it in our salad bowl, and it was in there for like you know a couple days, like four days, and now it's we took it out of the water, but it's still like enlarged, massive, engorged. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to put it in ice now. <laughs> oh my god! And have our own mini because I was thinking like this is a, like a homunculus Sasquatch. It's a mini Squatch. We should totally. We should do put it in ice and then do our own hoax. We'll <sighs> we'll have it on display. We'll charge people an entrance fee. Let's do it. Love it. Twenty five <laughs> cents nowadays. That seems reasonable for that type of. An <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it's a quarter. Come on. Go oh ahead. man. But right. that, that kind of wraps it up for yeah. today's episode of Into the Portal, you guys. So, yeah, we want to hear what you guys have to say about the Iceman. Hit us up, into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. We love getting emails from you guys if you don't like commenting on social media. But if you do, hit us up on social media. If you don't already, follow us at Into the Portal Podcast on Instagram, at Into the Portal One on Twitter. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and tell your friends about the show and check out IntoThePortal.com. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. So, until next time on Into the Portal, your gateway to the bazaar. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.